Welcome to the Making Money Show with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. We've known each other for a number of years. We like to talk about finance. We've been talking over the last couple of episodes of the Making Money Show, Ron, about when is the time to sell a stock and not to belabor this, but again, the, the data shows it. It's not very often you get advice when to sell. You're always told to buy, you're told to buy and hold, but it's not very often you get that call that says, hey, it's a good time to get out of Dodge here. Typically, if you look at the universe of investment firms, sell recommendations historically work out to be about 6% of all the recommendations. And it doesn't mean that every stock you've got to be buying and selling it every five hours, but it does need some serious reflection because there's a time to buy, there's a time to sell, and you need to do both successfully to have profits. And when you're only getting that 6% sell recommendations from the investment community, this is an area where you have to do some homework and get good at making your own decisions of when to sell because generally no one's going to do that for you. Well, you made a list of 20 points, and we've covered off 13 of them, but let's just, before we get to number 14 and, and the subsequent ones, is, is one of the basic rules of thumbs here, and I learned this a long time ago, never be afraid to take a profit. The thing that will hurt you if you take a profit that for so many people is the reason that they're reluctant to do it is if I take a profit, I've got to pay tax. And so there are aversion to paying tax, that reluctance moves into their investment decision-making process and they're going, well, I got enormous profit. I have to pay a huge amount of tax. It reminds me of the, what was in the Nortel days. So it was in the go-go days back in the mid-90s where Nortel went, oh, uh, it went up 1,000%. It had a huge run. I knew a lady and we sold her stock she was upset with me for selling it because she said she lost her old age security, her old uh, benefits, yeah. because they clawed them back. I'd remind her that she made a half million dollars profit on the stock, but she was so stuck on the fact that she lost her old age security that she, it, from that point on, it basically shut her down where she'd buy something and even if the outlook got really bad, she would hang on to it because she didn't want to pay tax. So you can't just focus on, on your purchase and be reluctant to sell because of the tax issues. Tax issues are important. You don't want to just sell when a stock has got a long-term trajectory of higher prices because you want to compound your gains. But there are times where taking uh, profit, even if you have to give 24% of it to the government, it beats the opportunity of... of Going the of, other way. Of, yeah, yeah. So that ever-presence reluctance to sell is something that we have to we have to overcome that. And this list of 20, if you will, points that you've made are some examples of when that time occurs. Now, when a company is going to merge or be taken over by an inferior company, and you're going to get shares in lieu of cash. Be very, very careful because... Often the, the attraction of the poorer company is to buy a company that has superior prospects to it own, its own. But generally what happens is in the process, the management of the inferior company 
runs the superior company and you get what we call mathematically regression to the mean. All the bad traits of the inferior company are infused by the superior company and the good management bails on it and so what you have left is a company that because its performance now is going down its share price goes down as well. So if you typically see that say goodbye. Don't wait around. If you're the stock you even if they're offering shares the total amount of shares you're going to get is generally higher than the share price before the announcement. So instead of taking the shares the share prices of the company you own often is up. Just sell it into the market, take your cash, move on, look for other things. Okay, now when the stock you own moves into that fully to overpriced zone based on price earnings, price sales, dividend yield, all of those different components which you should study before you purchase a stock, are, are there some signs there that you have to watch for? Yeah, typically if you own a company and I'll use the example of Nestle's. It's never gotten tremendously overpriced in the decades I've owned it. It just continues to grind on year after year. It's never been a tremendously spectacular stock. Usually it doesn't have blowout earnings, but the earnings are respectable and they're generally up year over year. It's the world's biggest food company. So that stock occasionally has gotten to the higher end of its range, but the outlook has stayed good. So I haven't sold it. But occasionally you'll get a stock that gets way ahead of itself. So instead of pricing in the next few years, investors are looking at this and saying, this thing is going to be spewing gold dust for the next decades. And as a result, the stock price goes up. So maybe you're paying 40 times this year's profits or 50 or 60 or 100. Virtually all of that goodness, all of the growth for the next 20 years is already priced in today. So when that happens, and typically as we've talked about, those benchmarks are book value, cash flow, yield, price to sales, price to earnings. When they get into that infinity zone, time to say goodbye. Wait for a pullback till investors come back to their senses, and you'll generally have another opportunity to get company back. company that, that fell into that, another food company, was Kellogg's. Didn't it kind of get ahead of itself a few years yeah, ago? Yeah, Kellogg's got way ahead of itself, and uh, there's nothing wrong with Kellogg's. But Kellogg's just got to a point where it was ahead of itself, and food companies have been going through restructuring because when you and I go into a grocery store, Gord, you look at what we put in our food basket versus what a millennial, a Generation X, or a Generation Z is putting in their food basket. It's an entirely different mix of products. So these companies that are used to providing products for baby boomers are having to reinvent themselves and buy products that are more acceptable to the palates of a different generation. And do I think they'll be successful? Absolutely I do. But it's going to take time to do that. And as a result, more earnings are going to have to go to R&D and advertising and all those things which don't show up on the bottom line. So some of these companies have gotten way ahead of themselves and you can take some profits and wait for the opportunity to come when they get it sorted out again to get back in. I often think of kale. We, we always used to have it as a garnish around the outside on a buffet. Now people are making shakes and eating flakes and everything else. Perfect example of how the grocery basket has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Kale's still a tough one for me to eat. <laughs> I agree with you in that regard, too. All right. Now, when you see large amounts of insider trading. And we talked about this before we got on air. 
And a classic example of that is Briex, where the company would boast about, frankly, how virtually all of Indonesia... It's, it's gold. It's nothing but gold. Yeah, yeah. As far as the eye can see, no matter where you drill, you come out with great core samples of gold. I got the insider trading reports during that period, and management was aggressively selling stock week after week after week after week. You know, it wasn't just one CEO or chief financial officer selling stock because their kid got accepted to Harvard and they needed a hundred grand for tuition. It was everybody was selling. And when you get to the point where you're getting insiders telling a great story but rushing to the exits themselves, the bell should be going off because this just something's isn't. not right. Yeah, exactly. If they think it's the stock is that good and they're selling relentlessly, you take that as a warning sign. Political indications are often a, a key here too. And and you know if you're invested globally, you have to keep an eye on what's going on around the world. And and political situations going downhill can be a, a, a signal that you should get out as well. Turkey is a classic example, which uh, has been trying to gain entry into the European Union for years. And their president at one point was looked at as being an economic genius. And now Turkey is in full-blown recession mode. Its currency is collapsing. Its interest rates are going through the roof. Inflation is hurting it. You want to pay attention to those countries where, where that's happening, or countries where there's a lot of graft and corruption, where it's hard for shareholders to make money. And a good example of that is China, where the markets are about half of where they were in 2007. So people look at China as an economic miracle. And yeah, China's economy has grown dramatically, but very little of that growth has trickled down to shareholders. So if a country can't produce opportunity for investors, you don't want to go there. All right. One more on the list here. When short-term interest rates rise above long-term rates, this is the, the inverse curve. Yeah. And typically what happens is when a central bank gets concerned that an economy is growing too fast, it starts jacking up short-term interest rates. And often the market doesn't, in the longer term, in other words, the 2, the 5, the 10, the 20, the 30-year rates, those rates don't adjust fast enough because typically the lever that the central bank has is in short term, usually under a year. So when they're jacking up short-term rates and the short-term get higher than the long-term, usually the 10-year rate, that is a warning bell that you should take some money off the table. Go through your portfolio, look at things that are cyclical, especially that you've had great runs in and have, if the economy goes into recession, can fall a long way. Take some of those off the table because this is an indicator that- Trouble lies ahead. <laughs> yeah, trouble lies ahead and it's also been very accurate. It's, since 1970, it's predicted uh, essentially every market pullback. Uh, the major in major recessions. So, and usually the recessions come about 11 months after the yield curve goes negative, and the yield curve is negative right now. So it's just a warning to investors that you don't have to wholesale sell everything, but the warning bells are going off that we've had a long bull market, and you just want to be cautious here. You don't want to be aggressive at the top of markets. All right. Sell down a position when it gets above 10% of the value of the portfolio 
or a sector is above 20, 20 to 5 percent of the value of portfolio. Yeah, so if you've got a stock that you bought and it was 2 percent of your portfolio to begin with and now it's 10 percent, you might want to trim it back. So if it goes to 12 percent, trim it back to 10 or trim it back to 8. So don't let that stock just overwhelm your entire portfolio because frankly if it does have a downturn and often you look at a long-term chart and companies even the best ones go through periods of time where they haven't done so well so trim it back and if you've got a sector like if you're employed in the energy sector and you've got 25 percent of your portfolio tied up in your own company stock or in other stock of of energy companies trim that back you know don't let the exposure gets so big that if the sector of the stock has a downturn, that it's really going to punish you. That stars in your eyes time when that sort of thing kind of happens, right? Yeah. And frankly, if you're doubting, if you, if you look in the mirror and you go, no, this couldn't happen, take your hand, slap your reflection instead of slapping yourself and bring yourself back because you need a reality check that things don't go straight to the moon. You know, Jack and the Beanstalk will tell you that. All right, so sell down an asset allocation when it gets above your predetermined asset mix. That's something you should establish when you when you build your portfolio is how do I want this basket to look? Yeah. And if you get too big in one area, if you're too long in one area, then it's time to maybe diversify a little bit. Yeah, so let's just use a simple example here. You decide that you want to have 50% of your, your portfolio in fixed income. In other words, preferred shares and bonds, GICs, those kind of investments, and 50% of your portfolio in stocks. We're not going to get, for this example, let's keep it simple, so we're not going to talk about gold and and real estate. Let's just keep it simple with a 50-50 mix. Now, let's say the stock market has been on a rip. That 50% that you'd allocated to stocks goes up to 70%. You've had a very good year in the market. Maybe they've gone up 30 or 40%. Usually, I recommend once a year, Calculate that asset mix, your ideal mix, and sell down the asset mix to the original comfort zone. In other words, 50-50. So maybe you're now 70-30. So sell down the stocks and then use the, the money to buy the asset that is underperforming the market. You know, if it's 70 or 30, it's not hard to do the math on this. But that just mechanically, it's a formula that allows you to sell high and then move the proceeds to buy low. And it especially works if you have more sectors, like if you had gold, if you had real estate, if you had a few other things. So you have maybe five or six uh, ways that your portfolio is broken down and you're readjusting your assets to buy the cheap ones and sell the expensive ones. Most people don't have the discipline to do that on their own, but if they look at their portfolio and they just calculate the percentages, that makes a decision for you. Okay, so that's 20 points now. But I think we want to set some rules of thumb here, and and you've made a list of four. And let's start with these. These are the ones that you, you should probably put down on a piece of paper somewhere and keep it around you at all time. If you have a large unexpected gain of 100%, sell down a half. This is especially true where you've speculated. So let's say back in the 80s you bought your Briex, or let's say recently you got some hot tips and you bought marijuana stocks. Well, many of them have gone up dramatically. If you take a look at the financial prospects for the marijuana industry, there's a lot of voices out there saying that this is not the financial nirvana 
that everybody thinks it is. Now, they might be wrong, and marijuana stocks continue to go up, but they might be right. So if you've made a 100% gain and you sell your half, now you're not playing with your principal anymore. You're playing with your profit. So if you've got unexpected windfall, take your principal out of it, play with your interest. Okay, make sure to let your profits run. When you find a winner, you hang on as long as it continues to increase sales and profits. Sometimes the shares will become overpriced for long periods of time, unless it gets crazy overvalued. A good example, and it's a stock I've owned here again for years, and uh, you'll notice a similarity in some of the things I talk about, is McCormick's. Now, McCormick's company. Oh, yeah, makes spices. Yeah. And if you go to your grocery store and you take a look at a little jar of one ounce of spice, and typically they're between five and ten bucks, and you look at what it costs them, the profit margins in there are exceptionally high. And the changing tastes between boomers, and we were salt and pepper people, yeah, to the millennials <coughs> and the Generation Z and Generation X, and they like putting, experimenting with all kinds of stuff in their food. Cilantro, five spice, let's throw some of that yeah, in there. Yeah, let's throw a little bit of that, <laughs> let's throw a little bit of this. So spice sales have been moving up, not just in North America, but the acceptance in Europe and everywhere else. And you go to restaurants now, and they advertise all the stuff they're putting in their foods, and people have a preference to want to try things that have more taste to them than the bland stuff you and I used to eat with the salt and pepper on it. We thought it was a big adventure putting twice as much the amount of pepper on it that we normally did to get a little more taste out of it. So because things are changing, but this stock has consistently over the years had great profit margins, low debt, and it's been able to grow its business. And if you look at the demographics, the people's palates are moving more toward using even more of those products. The long-term outlook looks pretty good. So occasionally this stock has got overpriced, but you know, as I think Tubrock 3 said, the future looks so exciting, I need to wear shades. Yeah. Hang on to the stock. Okay. Day traders generally lose money, and the more you trade, the more you lose. Keep your turnover down to 20% per year. Turnover is typically where you trade a stock to buy another one. If you watch uh, TV, especially the financial shows where they have the traders come in, and they'll have a two- or three-hour block of the stuff that they bought, and by noon they were out of it, it generally makes the average person think that there's a lot of money to be made doing this. But uh, especially when we get into some of the, the future shows, I'm going to show you where most of this is just smoke and mirrors. They do not make a lot of money. In fact, they burn it all up with uh, spreads. They burn it all up with transaction costs and taxes. And so having high turnovers where you're turning your portfolio over five days, which I think is the average now, and it used to be uh, when I started in the industry, people held for five to six years. So you burn up any potential profit you have by, by turning your portfolio all the time and listening to people that think like this is the way to do it. Well, it isn't. Okay. And the final one, sell for a reason and not out of boredom. Yeah. You're going to a cocktail party tonight and you need something to tell your friends. So you take a stock and sell it to 
claim a profit, so you got something to brag about, or you've had something for five hours, 28 minutes, and 32 seconds that hasn't gone up like you wanted, so you, you hit the eject button, and you're bored with it, and you want something that gives you more action. Well, that's the key to the poorhouse. Never be afraid to look for the sell sign, and never be afraid to push the button to say it's time to move on. In the inimitable words of the Terminator, hasta la vista, baby. Ron Hebert is the financial coach. The show is called Making Money, and we'll be back with another installment next week. Remember, if you have a question, you can reach us through the cfcw.com website. It'll come directly to our inbox, and we'll try to tackle it on a future episode. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.